Welcome to the 110th episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, we will talk about the past week's NBA and college basketball action. So let's jump right in, starting with a look back at the NBA from last week and our usual questions. Patrick, starting with your most impressive teams of the week. Well, after a few bad weeks in a row where uh, I had to criticize them a little bit, the Toronto Raptors bounced back with a good week. They went 4-0 this week, and honestly, their schedule wasn't too light either. They beat Milwaukee, and they beat the Clippers over the course of the week. Uh, and, you know, with how well uh, the Knicks have been playing recently, I would say that's also a good win. Uh, they beat San Antonio, who hasn't been playing so well recently, and we'll talk about that later. Um, but overall, four good wins for them, uh, and just the Raptors playing better is a good sign for their franchise, and... Uh, I still think they can be not necessarily a dark horse playoff candidate because I think they have been on people's radar since the beginning of the season in some capacity. Um, but I, I think they could at least make a run at the play-in, maybe make the play-in, um, probably win a game or maybe maybe win a game in the play-in. I, I wouldn't be very surprised. Um, but we'll see how they end up. I mean, I, I think they could definitely end up in a sim- similar situation to what happened with Washington last year. Uh, where, you know, they kind of go into the play-in and everybody's like, okay, this team can probably make it into the playoff, but they're probably not going to do anything once they get there, uh, which is which was entirely true. Uh, but they could end up in that kind of a situation, and then uh, we'll, we'll see what happens from there. But they could also end on the on just on the outside of it because the East has actually gotten better this year in terms of depth. Uh, so it, it's a good question, but I think for now the Raptors can be happy about how they're playing recently. Uh, moving on from them, the Mavericks have not been too have not been playing too well this really this month. I mean, not this month actually, because they've been playing pretty well this month because that's why they're on this list. But last month, I should say, in December, they did not have a good month. Uh, they were still, I think, they're now still sixteen and eight. I want to say with Luka Doncic on the floor. So obviously, at full strength, the Mavericks are still a very strong team. Uh, but four zero this week. They beat Denver. They beat Oklahoma City, and they beat Sacramento. But most importantly. They beat Golden State. Why was this win important? It actually wasn't important for the reason that they beat the second-best team by record in the league. It was actually important because this was Dirk Nowitzki's jersey retirement night. Uh, It was Dirk's night in Dallas, and uh, they came out and they played very well to honor him. And frankly, it was a commanding victory, too. I believe they won by double digits. Uh, But the most surprising thing to me was, you know, a lot of people going into the game were talking about the fact that it was kind of stupid for them to, ha- as in a marketing way, to put Dirk's retiree, retiring game for a game that they would already sell out anyway. Uh, whereas if you put it maybe against Oklahoma City, uh, I don't know if that game was at home or not, but if a team like that, let's say, at home, you might get people to come to a game that no one else <laughs> would otherwise be at. Uh, but And then the other thing that people were saying is, well, now they're going to lose on the retirement night of the best player in their franchise's history, so that's not very fun either. That was pretty dumb scheduling. And funny enough, looks like it came back to bite all of those people because, well, here the Mavericks are sitting with this win and overall 4-0 in the week. And honestly, I can't say myself that I didn't agree with that, those takes either. I was thinking the same thing. I was like, yeah, you're right. They would have sold it out regardless. And also, they're not going to beat the Warriors, so why would you do it on that night? I mean, just do it on any other night. You could beat any other team in the league. Just don't pick it to be Golden State or Phoenix or Brooklyn or Milwaukee, and you're good. But uh, they ended up pulling out a, a strong win, and good for the Mavericks. Uh, it's good for to see them get back on track. They can be a strong contender in the West, and I think we all know that. And uh, they've proven that over the past few years, and they're only getting better because most of their talent is pretty young. Uh, but moving on from the Mavericks, 
to a team that is the opposite of that. Their talent is all old, the Lakers. Uh, finally, finally doing something good for once in a while. Uh, LeBron has been ridiculous over the last, really, nine games, and I'll get to that later. But 3-0 this week, wins over Sacramento, Minnesota, and Portland. Uh, LeBron has just been playing out of his mind. Russell Westbrook in one of these games had, I think, seven turnovers in the first half, but then responded the next game with zero against Sacramento, uh, which really shows that it looks like the Lakers are kind of starting to put things together, although this is without AD on the floor, and all of a sudden after he comes back in two weeks, maybe their synergy is disrupted again, so they're going to have to deal with that whole injury bug uh, issue that they're dealing with um, probably throughout the season when you look at the history of the players that they have on their team, uh, especially Anthony Davis. But uh, for now, the Lakers are playing well. And, you know, I think one of the factors that people underestimated is that they didn't have Frank Vogel on the sidelines because he was out in COVID protocols. And they had David Fisdale in there for a while. And I'm pretty sure while Fisdale was the acting head coach, they went one and six. Um, And since Frank Vogel has come back, they've now won three games in a row, which not going to say anything. I don't think that means a lot about Fisdale. I really think that's more about the Lakers and how inconsistent they've been. But it is something to say about Frank Vogel being a good coach. And I mean, look, he was the one who led them to the championship. And I think there was a reason why. I think he is a very good coach and he's very capable of leading this team. Uh, But the Lakers having a good week, uh, tough game against the Hawks tonight that they have. uh, So we'll see what happens in that game to see if they can continue their streak, which would be their longest winning streak of the year if they were able to win this game tonight. Uh, And moving on from them, I'll go to the Grizzlies who went 4-0. It seems like they're on this list a lot. That's because they're a really, really good team. And yet somehow the expectations still don't feel like they should be a top four seed in the West. And yet here they are. Uh, They're sitting at 4-0 this week. And I, I believe they're almost 10 games above 500 now. Uh, But, you know, I only had them at fourth most impressive because their schedule was pretty weak. Uh, Other than games against Cleveland and Brooklyn, they played Detroit and San Antonio. So the wins against Cleveland and Brooklyn are good, but Detroit and San Antonio, not so much. And uh, by the way, speaking of Brooklyn, I don't have them on either of these lists because they've been kind of average recently. Uh, The Grizzlies, with that win, handed the Nets their seventh straight loss at home, which is very, very odd. And uh, honestly, if you look at the future, with Kyrie Irving back playing part-time, that might continue because they're going to have their best version of themselves on the road every single game they play on the road. And then they're going to come back home and they're going to be without a superstar every single time they come back. So that's something to keep watching for. Honestly, the Nets should tank for the five seed. They should want to be on the road. <laughs> they don't, I don't think they want home court advantage. They're their best road team in the league. And they were the best road team in the league before having Kyrie Irving. Now you take the fact that they were the best road team and they have a superstar that will only be playing on the road most likely for the whole season. I would take that. But moving on from the Nets, obviously there's a little bit of a side tangent, but I don't really have anywhere to fit them in because they're neither fitting either of these categories. Uh, But again, the Grizzlies playing that team, a very good team, obviously, as we know, uh, but beating them at home where somehow they're weak, I guess. But a good week by the Grizzlies again. And, you know, this team's going to continue impressing with or without John Morant, probably. Uh, And I think that's something that's also really good for them because in the playoffs, if he ever gets in foul trouble, uh, injury maybe for a game or two, they've been used to playing without him. And that will continue to be an important factor in the team's growth overall and also just their synergy with each other and how they play overall. Being without your best player for long periods of time or even just decent length stretches will make you better later in the year because you know how to play minutes without him and and knowing that he can be able to rest and not be overworked by the time it's in the playoffs 
and during the playoffs. So it's really important for the Grizzlies, and they're a really good team. All right, well, let's move to the flip side. The most disappointing teams of the last week. Yeah, the Pacers had a very bad week this week. Had a kind of tough schedule, but went 0-4 through it. Lost to Brooklyn, New York, uh, I should say the Knicks, Cleveland, and Chicago. Obviously no wins there. Uh, not really much to say about this team. I think that Indiana has higher expectations, though, than the way their team is playing right now. Uh, and I, I really think they could be better, but they're just, uh, the pieces just aren't, uh, the chips aren't just really falling their way right now. Uh, but moving on from them, the Clippers went one and three this week. Only win was somehow over Brooklyn. By the way, that was also on the road, uh, Brooklyn losing another home game. Uh, but losses to Philadelphia, Minnesota, and Toronto. Talked about how Toronto's been playing well. Minnesota's been pretty, not necessarily up and down, but pretty much staying around 500, but definitely under the whole season. So not too surprising there. Um, But, well, not too surprising that Minnesota's like that, but pretty bad loss for the Clippers. And I think overall, they're they're, they're sitting under 500 right now. And we obviously know that's not where they want to be. And really, I I don't think there are any real excuses that could be made for them other than the injuries. But they also have a team that is very injury-prone in general. Uh, So they're kind of going to have to deal with that at some point. I mean, I I don't know when Kawhi is coming back, if he's coming back at all this season. Uh, So they're going to have to figure out how to play without him. And they're also going to have to figure out how to play without Paul George because you can't just rely on one guy being there to to make your entire team what it is. Uh, But moving on from the Clippers, the Spurs went 1-3 this week. Uh, there were a lot of 1-3, and 1-2 and two teams, but I think the Spurs were probably the most talented out of all those teams uh, and also played the weakest schedule. Reason why I have them on here, if you lose to Detroit, you probably will end up on this list. Uh, losing to Toronto, Detroit, and Memphis this week, only a win over Boston, who has, they have been very, very inconsistent all season. Uh, but the Spurs just not playing that well this season. And, you know, it, it would be a bad season for Greg Popovich to leave because, uh, or to retire because, He'd really be going out on a very low note, uh, especially compared to the rest of his career. He could have left pretty much every other year of his entire Spurs tenure, and it would have been a very, very high note compared to this season. Uh, But, you know, it might be his time, and it might be time for him to hang it up and just retire, but uh, we'll we'll see what happens there. I don't don't see any reason why he would come back, though, either, based on (laughs) what this team is doing. I don't exactly think he has a team that's going to be winning anytime soon. Uh, But moving on from them... The Washington Wizards really have been inconsistent all season, honestly. Had a lot of close stretches. I mean, I think they have the most, I think they have the best win percentage in like five point games or something this year. I think they're 14 and three. But if you look at any game that's not those games, I think they're like four and 20 on the rest of the year. So that's just not very good. And that's not reliable either because they're not going to continue to win close games. I mean, Bradley Beal is great. Kyle Kuzma has been clutch, but there are a lot of clutch players in the league, and I would not put Kyle Kuzma up there in the top 10, top 15 of those guys. So I don't really think that's a sustainable formula to go 14-3 and uh, and extrapolate that record over the entire season in five-point games. It's probably not going to go well for them. Uh, But 1-2 and this week, they beat Charlotte, but they lost to Houston, who's terrible, and to Chicago. So, uh, And by the way, that Chicago game was on a buzzer beater by DeMar DeRozan. Uh, uh, that seems to be a common fate of teams. Also, the Pacers' loss to Chicago this week was also a DeMar DeRozan buzzer beater, although it did happen last year technically, so they can put that behind them now. All right, well, who was your player of the week? And you may have given us a little hint. 
Uh, it's LeBron James, averaging 33.3 points this week, 8.7 rebounds, 4.7 assists, 1.7 seals, and 1.3 blocks. But really, this is more not necessarily just a player of the week, but this was the peak week of the last nine games that he's played. I mean, listen to the stat lines from the last nine games. 31, 14, and 6 in terms of points, rebounds, assists, and I can keep reading it like that. 34, 7, and 2, 36, 9, and 6, 39, 9, and 7, 32, 10, and 11, 37, 13, and 7, 43, 14, and 4, 26, 7, and 5, and 31, 5, and 5. And the Lakers have been playing better uh, over the course of that stretch. And really, even when they were losing at some points in that stretch, he was kind of the only guy doing anything, to be quite honest, uh, really keeping the team afloat, and he has been all season. Uh, when he's out, this team just looks terrible. And when he's in, they look like they can at least make some noise in the playoffs. They still don't look like a, a championship contender, to be to be quite honest. But uh, if you have LeBron James on your team, you're automatically some kind of a contender. So got to get some credit for that. All right, well, that wraps up this week's look back at the NBA. Let's now turn our attention to college basketball and talk about the biggest upsets of the past week. I will start with one of the more shocking upsets of the season, honestly. Number 23, Wisconsin beat number 3, Purdue, 74-69. to And I think the most surprising thing about this game is that this was a way. Uh, this was a road game for Wisconsin. And really, I've said I don't really believe much in Wisconsin this season. Purdue is one of the teams that I'm very, very high on. Obviously, it's only their second loss of the year. I don't think this is cause for panic whatsoever. But it maybe has started to give me some confidence in Wisconsin just a little bit. Uh, and then, you know, they also had a, later, a, a, a result later in the week that made me think this at least wasn't a fluke. But uh, as I said to you off the off off record, as soon as Wisconsin does something good, they always find a way to do many, many bad things right after it. So I wouldn't be surprised if they also follow up this good week, uh, which I'll get to the other game in that later, uh, with uh, many, many bad weeks in a row. I, I, it's yeah, very, see. very possible. Um, I don't. I still don't fully believe in their core, but Johnny Davis, I can say this. In terms of Wisconsin, if they let Johnny Davis shoot every single shot of the game, I would believe 100,000% in them. I would call them a top five team if they let Johnny Davis do everything. The problem is, honestly, the only way they can go and beat a team like Purdue is when Johnny Davis scores 37 points. Uh, and that, honestly, not going to happen all the time, especially because he also had third, 14 rebounds to go with that. He actually led the team in points, rebounds, and assists uh, in that game, which is pretty ridiculous. And 37 of 74 points from one player isn't sustainable whatsoever. Also, having a guard being your top rebounder while also being your top scorer, also probably not sustainable, especially in the Big Ten. Uh, but... Eventually, I think it'll catch up to Wisconsin. I think teams will start planning to literally only stop Johnny Davis because this team still scored only 74 points in a game where they got 37 from one player, uh, which proves that they're pretty much inefficient and not very good on offense for other than him. Uh, but Purdue had a rough game. Some guys didn't shoot so well. They, they lost the turnover battle. I don't think this was... I mean, look, it was a close game that they lost. It wasn't like they got blown out of the water, so there, there's no concern for me about Purdue there, um, other than the fact that maybe their home court advantage isn't as strong as it's been in the past, because in the past, if you go to play at Purdue, you're not winning the game. I think it's it's been pretty simple, so it's actually a surprise that probably the best team they've had in a few years is the one that loses their Big Ten home opener. Uh, but after that, Marquette beat number 23 Providence, 88 to 56. 
That is an ugly, ugly loss for Providence uh, after they have caused a few teams to have ugly, ugly losses before. But it's kind of funny because Providence has played a lot of close games, won a lot of close games, actually won at Wisconsin, by the way, uh, something interesting to note. Uh, But then ironically, actually, sorry, number 16 Providence, I should say, not number 23. That was Wisconsin's ranking. Uh, But it's interesting because Providence's two losses have come by 18 points and 32 points. And I think all of their wins are within a margin of like 10. I don't think they've really beaten anybody by double digits or more. I mean, on average over the course of the year, their their average margin of victory is six. So <laughs> they win a lot of close games and then they don't really play well when they lose at all. Uh, but I think really that's not that bad of a formula as a college basketball team. And honestly, 13 and two, if you split that up into two segments, if you have that record over the course of the year, that you would be getting five wins and then one loss and then eight wins and then one loss. And all you need to do to win the tournament is get seven wins in a row with no losses. Obviously, that's a big challenge, but, or six actually, yeah, you're right. But if you're looking at the way they've been playing all season, as long as they can avoid the one bad game being in the middle of the tournament, they look like a strong team. And I mean, if they can play consistently and maybe bring it, rein it in a little bit more, then they'll really start to be a scary team and they will have plenty of opportunities to play in close games to keep winning close games and maybe also learn from some blowout losses because they're in a very strong Big East conference this year. One of the best years the Big East has had in a while. Uh, but moving on from that, Indiana beat number 13 Ohio State 67 to 51. I actually don't believe that India. Also, I should mention Marquette was favored in that game against Providence, but obviously not by a large amount. I think only by a point or two. Uh, but Indiana, I don't actually think they were favored in this game, even though uh, they were the home team. Actually, no, they were favored by three points, so I stand corrected. Uh, So technically not that big of an upset. But Indiana still was an underwhelming team so far this year. They have three losses, and I think they've really played a weak enough schedule that they could be kind of at the level of like a USC, for example, who's gone 13-0 with a pretty weak schedule. I think, or an LSU who was 12-0 heading an SEC conference play. I really think Indiana could have been at that level, Their losses aren't that great, but I think everybody still knows that at their core, they're a team that's capable of big wins, and uh, they've given Ohio State trouble in the past a little bit. I don't think they've necessarily beaten them too much, but they've played a lot of close games against them, and overall, uh, Ohio State has the typical makeup of a Big Ten team, and Indiana has that too, and Trace Jackson Davis just outplayed EJ Liddell in this game. EJ Liddell couldn't get much space, and Ohio State couldn't really do much on offense other than other than him, and uh, he really is the catalyst of that team, and when he's off, the whole team is off. So not surprising to see them lose that game, Uh, and I guess Vegas getting savvy knowing that Indiana had the tools to guard him, and they were able to. All right, now let's move over to some close games from last week. Uh, Starting with number one, Baylor going on the road to Ames, Iowa, to beat number eight, Iowa State. I almost said Ohio State. Iowa State, 77-72. to This is a clash of unbeaten Big 12 powerhouses, uh, 12-0 for both of them going into the game. Baylor is better than Iowa State. Uh, This solidified it. It wasn't close. There was a reason why, well, I mean, the game was close, but in terms of knowing who was going to win and knowing who's the better team, if you go on the road and beat a team by a good margin, 5-7, to uh, when they were undefeated, you're probably going to easily beat them at home, too. I think if you look at Baylor's wins, they're a lot better. I think when you look at Iowa State's wins, they're not that impressive. They've played a decent schedule so far, but haven't really played any great teams. And I think one of the reasons they skyrocketed in the rankings was because of a win over Memphis and a win over Virginia Tech. And both of those teams are now on the outside of the tournament looking inward 
when before they were top 25 teams, both of them really, I mean, Virginia Tech, I don't think actually ever cracked the top 25, but they were that caliber. And obviously Memphis was top 15 at the beginning of the season. So those two wins that we thought meant a lot kind of don't anymore. Uh, Those teams just aren't that good. Uh, And I think Iowa State is still a good team. You don't go 12-0 for no reason. And we'll talk about another game they played later in the week that showed that they can win in a variety of ways and beat a lot of teams. Uh, But overall, Baylor, I think, really is the number one team in the country. And I think Purdue's loss to Wisconsin helps prove that. I think Duke in just being on and off this season a lot with COVID and uh, some of the issues that they've had this year where their players haven't been playing because of cramping and stuff, I think that proves it. Uh, I think really you can't make the argument for Gonzaga because of the losses that they've had. So right now it's clear that Baylor is the number one team. I'm not saying that can't change over the course of the year. I'm not saying they're going to repeat as national champions, but they have built a really good team once again. Uh, James Akinjo is great. All the players they kept from last year, Flo Thamba, Jonathan Jonathan Chamochachua, it's a mouthful of a name, uh, Matthew Meyer, they're all great. Uh, They added Kendall Brown as as a recruit. He's amazing. I mean, their whole team is just very, very good. Adam Flagler, Adam Flagler, uh, LJ Cryer. I mean, I think I listed their entire eight-man rotation just now, but I'm just telling you, they're all that good. I mean, they're all worth mentioning. And the one thing that I like a lot about Baylor is that there is no one guy who is the who's the guy who just overtakes everything. And that's what they did last year is that they had Macy Oteague, they had Davion Mitchell, and they had Jared Butler. And whoever was having the best night would shoot the most shots. And whoever was having an off night would do a better job of facilitating, playing more defense, getting the effort plays, get uh, getting a lot of rebounds. They, they did a great job of handing it off and knowing who was on at which times, and I think that's something that they can do this year again. I don't think they have a single score over like 15 points per game this season, but anybody in their rotation averages, I think, more than six or seven. So very, very balanced scoring, unlike a team like Wisconsin that I was talking about earlier who's pretty reliant on a few guys. That is a build that can win for the whole year because – you can in the tournament just say, hey, look, it's not your day. Don't shoot. But some other teams, they can't do that with their star players. Baylor doesn't necessarily have one guy that they are too over-reliant on, and they're really not reliant on any one player. They're just a good system-built team. And then you have number 22, Villanova, beating number 15, Seton Hall, 73-67. to uh, Seton Hall, I had picked to win this game. Seton Hall is still, I believe, a good team. I mean, their close wins prove that. This was just a game where Villanova made the plays down the stretch uh, to barely win the game, and I think they deserve credit for that. But at the same time, still a firm believer in Seton Hall. Still not quite sure that Villanova is what we thought they were before the pre- before the season started. I definitely don't think they're a top 10 team. I think they're easily a top 15 team, uh, or easily a top 20 team, probably a top 15 team, but still not quite sold on their status as a major, major title contender. I could put a lot of teams out there before them, uh, but... Still a good win on the road in the Big East. Those wins are hard to come by. Uh, moving on from that, Ohio State, or number 13 Ohio State, I should say, beat Nebraska 87-79 in overtime. This was the start of their rough week where that ended in the loss to Indiana. Really just not playing too well right now, honestly. Uh, I don't exactly know what it is, but they're just not having the, the greatest amount of success right now. But, you know, in some way you can just point at it and say, hey, look, they are still firmly in tournament position and they can they're a talented enough team to go get big wins later in the year that will promote them to a high seed in the tournament rather than somewhere in the 5 or 6 range i think still right now they're sitting at a 3 or 4 seed to be quite honest 
Uh, but maybe not after the Indiana loss, maybe down to the four or five range, but they can still easily climb back up to the easy three or four range because of the fact that there are so many good opportunities to get good wins in the Big Ten. Uh, They even have one already over Wisconsin, and now Wisconsin's looking better. Uh, So there are opportunities. I just don't think they're playing well to start Big Ten conference play, but again, the good news for them is also that it's early in the conference play, and they can get better by the end of the year, and they have plenty of time to do so only three or four games in to a 20-game conference schedule, 16 games to go to still play well. So Ohio State's got plenty of time to adjust. Uh, But moving on from that, number 21 LSU beat number 18 Kentucky, 65-60. LSU really flipped the game when Kentucky's starting point guard, Ty Ty Washington, uh, started cramping up and had to go out of the game and missed, I think, six or seven minutes until maybe the last two or three minutes of the game. Uh, So unfortunate for Kentucky, Again, nothing, honestly, this game didn't tell me too much about either of these teams, honestly. Uh, I think the most it told me is that I can believe in LSU as a really good team. I think they're now, I think before I was thinking of them as maybe one of those teams that would get in the tournament as like a three seed, but be one of the three seeds that loses to maybe a six seed in the second round. Uh, But I think I'm starting to believe in them at at least maybe the Sweet 16 level. I don't believe they're anywhere near the Elite Eight caliber. I still think they're the third best team in the SEC. I would still take Kentucky over them any day. I'd still take Auburn over them, and probably I'd even take Alabama over them. That's where I kind of start to debate is between LSU, Alabama, and and Tennessee, even after this loss uh, by Kentucky. But loss on the road, one of your players starts cramping up at the end of the game. You don't score for six minutes straight. That's not the real real Kentucky team. It's not fair to judge them off that game. Uh, But moving on from that, Number 11, Iowa State, after their loss uh, to Baylor, they got knocked down to number 11 in the poll, beat number 25, Texas Tech, 51-47, to a good old-fashioned, ugly Texas Tech basketball game. They do have maybe four or five of these games every year where their opponent doesn't get above 60, and they somehow still manage to lose the game, and it really doesn't feel like they should because... Their opponent can't make any shots. Iowa State made three field goals in the entire second half and managed to win the game. That's all you need to know. They were up 30-19 to 19 at the half uh, and made most of their points from the end of the game fouling, honestly. Uh, from end of the game free throw shooting and then getting drawing some other fouls. It was an ugly, ugly game. Texas Tech did the same thing to Tennessee earlier in the year, by the way, where they had a game that I think into overtime was 53-53 to going into the overtime period, and I think it was something like 45-45 to before a minute and a half left when both teams decided to finally wake up on offense. Uh, they did this last year against West Virginia. They did this last year against a few other teams. They have a different coach now, so clearly this is about to say. I was about to say, uh, and if you look at it, I was just going to get to the fact that Texas has played that way with Chris Beard now as their coach. Texas is undefeated in games where they allow their where they hold their opponents under 60. That was Texas Tech's formula with Chris Beard, but they've continued to use that formula as just hold teams to a few points and just get some buckets of your own, but this game they couldn't really get any. I mean, they got a few in the second half, but not not enough. Uh, and in the end, 47 points is probably not going to win you many games. This was almost one of them, but not quite. Uh, but moving on from that, Tennessee, number 18, beat Ole Miss 66-60 in overtime. I think they were just looking ahead, uh, looking straight past Ole Miss because Ole Miss hasn't really been good this year. Most of their, actually, frankly, all of their best players are at other programs, some of them at Kentucky, some of them uh, at Iowa State even. So it's not exactly surprising that Tennessee might have overlooked Ole Miss a little bit. Um, but 
66-60 win in overtime at home is not a great look, but at the same time, oh, I'm going to say, they're overlooking them because of the fact that they have to play LSU this weekend, and LSU was just coming off the win against Kentucky, so that's pretty distracting, honestly, um, to see that happen. And also, they have LSU on the road, so that's going to be a tough matchup. I don't think they're winning that one. I actually have them picked to lose. Uh, moving on from that, number 10, Michigan State beat Northwestern 73-67. to Northwestern is currently sitting on the bubble of the tournament. Uh, not necessarily the greatest hopes to get in based on their most recent loss to Penn State, which I'm not mentioning because it's really not that important in the grand scheme of things. Uh, but, you know, Michigan State going on the road and beating bubble teams by decent margins is still a good sign for them in terms of the course of the year. Uh, these are teams that overall in the Big Ten, the way the Big Ten gets nine or ten teams into the tournament is teams like Northwestern going out and beating the top ten teams that are in the Big Ten And then everybody just deciding, wow, that just means that that team is good. It has nothing to do with the top 10 team themselves. Um, So, and that happens a lot in the Big Ten. So if you can avoid losses on the road in the Big Ten whenever possible, you're set up very well to win the conference. Uh, And and really, if you go 10 and 10 or better in conference, you're going to make the tournament. Uh, That's been been a proven formula over the last few years. Uh, So Michigan State getting some road wins already is already a very great sign in terms of where they're going to go in the tournament. All right, other important matchups from last week. Number 17, Texas beat West Virginia 74-59. West Virginia was 11-1 prior to that game. Uh, Weren't ranked yet, but they were on the edge of it, and I still think they are a borderline top 25 team. I still believe in in Coach Huggins there. Uh, But overall, and by the way, he should be in the Hall of Fame, but that's a whole other discussion. Um, But... Look, Texas, as I said, when they've held teams under 60, they're 12-0 and on the season. They're 0-2 when they don't. Uh, and really, even in those two losses, I believe they gave up 67 to Seton Hall, and then they gave up a bunch to Gonzaga. But that was, I think, their first or second game of the year, so that's not too surprising. Uh, but Texas is a good team. I, I think they're a very capable team. I think they're easily a Sweet 16 team. They're in that same range as LSU, uh, as Villanova, those kinds of teams. Um, but... I like what Texas has. I like their defensive style. I think Chris Beard is a great head coach to lead that team. Uh, He's proven that he can win in the Big 12 pretty successfully. Took Texas Tech to the Final Four, so Texas has a high ceiling this year. I mean, they have it all. They have a lot of talent. Uh, They have great guard play. They have great forward centers, whatever you want to call them in college. Uh, So I think they have a good chance this year. Uh, And then you have number 21, Providence, who beat DePaul 70-53. That was before their loss to Marquette. But a good road win for DePaul. Uh, or sorry, for Providence, over DePaul. Then you have number one, Baylor, beating Oklahoma, 84-74. Oklahoma put up a decent fight in this game, especially for being on the road. They were 12-2 and heading into this game. They're another team who probably should be ranked. Really, the Big 12 has two or three teams that aren't ranked that probably are better than a lot of the ranked teams that are out there. Uh, I would rather be 12-2 and in the Big 12, like West Virginia and like Oklahoma, uh, than be one of these top 20 teams that has a target on their back that's not necessarily doing that well. I mean, Ohio State has three or four losses on the year now, so that kind of a thing. Uh, Number 15, Alabama beat Florida 83-70 on the road. Good road one. I actually think Florida might have been favored in that game, Uh, so a good technically upset in that game. Florida's been decent all year, actually had the same record as Alabama going into this game, but Alabama played a more uh, challenging schedule, have a big win over Gonzaga, have another big win over Houston at home, so Alabama's played a lot of tough games this year, and it's allowed them to kind of go into games like this where they're at te- they're they're playing on the road against teams that could easily beat them. 
But those other teams just don't have the close game experience and tough game experience that Alabama does. They know what to do and they know who to go to early in the season. And that's pretty dangerous when you get late in the season. But it's already starting to pay dividends if you look at this game. Uh, then you have number 19, Villanova beating Creighton 75-41. to uh, Looked like the Baylor-Villanova game from earlier in the year where Baylor crushed Villanova. Villanova is starting to look a lot better, and this is proving that. Uh, this was not just a decent offensive performance, but a crazy defensive performance against a Creighton team who, yeah, they're not going to go on the road and beat top 25 teams, but they can easily hold their own at home. They're 10-4 and in the year. They're going to make the tournament, most likely. Uh, they're somewhere on the bubble there, but definitely on the right side of it for now. And then finally, number 23, Wisconsin, beat Iowa 87-78 to, to follow up their win over Purdue. Iowa is kind of sitting in that range of West Virginia and Oklahoma where they're just under the rankings, but they're kind of they're, they're still a good team with a really good record, especially. Uh, and Iowa's a decent team. They have a lot of talent. Keegan Murray's going to be a lottery pick. And uh, if you have a star that good, you're going to be good by the end of the season in, in some capacity. Maybe you might not be a Sweet 16 Elite A caliber team, but you're at least capable of getting to the tournament and winning a game. So a good win for Wisconsin in that game. All right, let's talk about some uh, games that didn't happen. Uh, because of cancellation postponements due to COVID, particularly important games. These are not all of them, not even close, but uh, number two, Duke versus Notre Dame uh, got canceled. That was going to be Duke's first game on the road in the ACC, so pretty important there. Uh, Duke also hasn't played in a very long time because of COVID issues. Uh, Oklahoma State versus number 25, Texas Tech, uh, was postponed. That also gives me an excuse to say, hey, Oklahoma State is not playing in the NCAA tournament this year, so if you ever hear me or if they ever get big wins, know that I will not talk about their tournament status because it's completely irrelevant. Uh, they won't be playing in it um, no matter what. So I won't be talking about them as a bubble team. That's where they would be if they were able to play, but um, they're not going to be. So it's kind of interesting to think about, but uh, you wonder if teams don't take them as seriously knowing that, but I don't think they do. But anyway, uh, moving on from that, number nine, Arizona versus number seven, USC, was officially postponed. We've talked about this, I think, a few times now. Uh, but the game time finally passed. And then finally, number 20, Colorado State, uh, undefeated on the year so far. Probably the best mid-major team. If not them, it's Loyola Chicago. Uh, funny name. Everybody knows that one. <laughs> uh, but that game, their game against Boise State, which I believe was their second conference game scheduled uh, against a quality team in their conference. Boise State has been pretty good in the Mountain West the few, uh, last few years. Uh, that game was also postponed. So Colorado State not having a tough road test to start the year in conference. Okay, that ends this look at college basketball for the week. It ends this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast as well. Please join us for our next podcast, which will be on Monday, January 10th, where we will see the accuracy of Patrick's weekend predictions and, in football, discuss the weekend's NFL action, have a preview of the NFL playoffs, and look back at the college football championship game. In the meantime, please be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including his prediction for that college football championship game, his weekend predictions that were posted on Thursday, and an updated NCAA basketball tournament bracket to be posted on Saturday. All of that on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number four, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.